Greetings and welcome to another episode of the Dragonlance Canticle, presented by the Dragonlance Nexus. Just as a heads up for our listeners this week, this is part one of a two-part interview with Larry Elmore. So please stick around for part two, which will be coming in a couple of weeks. Enjoy! The Dragonlance Nexus is proud to present the Dragonlance Canticle. Greetings, friends and fellow companions, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Dragonlance Canticle. My name is Trampus Whiteman, and I'm accompanied today by Chuck Martinell, uh, who's my partner in crime. And uh, we are very gracious today to have the one and only Larry Elmore as a guest on the show. Larry, welcome. I'm glad to be here. It's always fun. It's it's good to have you, sir. So, uh, you know, as I was mentioning to you earlier, we're kind of doing these uh, fireside chats, just these little stories of uh, uh, how we got from there to here. And uh, so I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about um, how'd you get started and uh, how'd you um, land up at TSR? Well, once upon a time when I was a little boy, no, (laughs) (laughs) no, I I just, uh, I just started drawing when I was a kid. I like to draw and, and, uh, and I think I think I only found out now here, I'm 73, I'll be 73 this year. I only found out last year or two that I think what made me be an artist is by seeing, I was at my mom's house and uh, we had to put her in assisted living. She's 92. Wow. And we were cleaning out the house and um, I ran across some old posters I did um, years ago when I was like nine and 10 years old. And I got to looking at it, and there's like a health poster or things you shouldn't do, you shouldn't litter, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I in the and I had little panels of drawings, and I'd colored them with crayons, or you know, best I could. And um, there was a drawing of a '57 or '59, one or the other Ford convertible. And it was the first year they come out with they had the top that went back into the trunk. You know, the trunk opened sort of backwards. And the top oh wow. Opened. I recognized the car when I saw it instantly. It was, uh, it was a, I think it was a 59 Ford. And that year, uh, that's about right, because I would have been nine years old. Uh, and uh, they just come out. I'd never seen one in real life. I'd only seen them in magazines. But I could recognize now that that was a 59 Ford. And also the trunk was extended enough just right. And I stared at that like, nine years old how did i know how to draw that car that accurate and then i started finding other old papers and there was a you know 57 ford i mean chevys 55 chevys 56 ford just cars of that time it was hot rods when i was around i was into cars as a kid mm-hmm. and well i still am i never outgrew that but anyway <laughs> um and i thought most kids at that age, when they're drawing a car, they're drawing a block, uh, put wheels on it, and that's it. And I was drawing them at three-quarter angles and stuff, and, 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 and I didn't have reference. I was, when I would see a picture, a photograph, one, I remember it. 
And so I realized I must must have had a really good visual memory. And um, and it's been that way my whole life. If I study something, I can remember its shape and how it's made. And um, so I think that's been my little edge I've had. And when I started doing artwork, my drawings were really strong. And then I went to college, majored in art, and um, went to Western Kentucky University and uh, and how started using color painting. Well, I was like a kid that had eight crayons and everything, all my colors had to come from those eight colors. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't know much about color and I got a little bit better and a little bit better as time went on. And, and, and by the time, uh, um, before I was hired at TSR, I'd, uh, I was paying pretty good. I'd already been in the army and out got drafted a month after I got out of college. Of course, I thought I was going to go to Vietnam and die. I was sort of pissed. I was like, man, I'd work all this hard, get a college degree, and I'm going to Vietnam and go get shot. And, oh, man. <laughs> and, uh, so, well, here I go. Well, um, I ended up, I took basic training in Fort Knox, which is only like 50 miles from my house. And um, and they they kept me there. And I, and I got assigned as an illustrator and uh and um, a printing plant there that they did the drawings and printed and published army manuals and things all in one building. And so I got a great education about printing and, and all that stuff then. I worked there for a year and I got sent to Germany. Spent a year in Germany and Lord, I saw castles and old ancient villages and everything. And I, I was on cloud nine. I, I loved every bit of it. And putting it all to memory, you know, I just look at stuff and stare at things. And um, so, so I'd been published a little bit before TSR called me up and um, they brought me up there and, and I'd never painted a dragon. I was into fantasy art. I got into fantasy. There was no such thing as fantasy art back then. Right. Right. <laughs> I was, I started, uh, I was doing fantasy or uh, sci-fi a little bit, but mainly fantasy ish stuff in the sixties, uh, like 1967 and stuff. And then somewhere around there, I saw Frank Rosetta's first Conan covers and flipped out. <laughs> Quit smoking for a week to save enough quarters to buy uh, the paperback book. You know, that was, uh, I was broke going to college on loans and grants and just just barely getting by. And uh, I got that book home. And I, would, I bet every night for a week, I'd sit and stare at that cover. Never even thought about reading the book. Another guy in the apartment, he said, uh, you going to read that book? I said, I never thought about it. <laughs> I was just <laughs> caught up visually. So he borrowed it. I made him sign his life away in blood, you know, that he wouldn't lose a book. So um, he brought it back to me. He said, man, that was a really good book. You should read it. So I read it. like, whoa, I loved it. And then um, about a month later, he came and he said, I found some more books that you got to read. And I. Uh, and I said, what are they? He said, well, they're weird. There's one book and then there's three books. And he said, you got to start with the first one, though. And it was, of course, Lord of the Rings, you know, The Hobbit. I read the, he said, he said, now it's a little bit hard to read, sir, written like Dickens or something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he said, he, he'll describe a hillside for five pages. And I said, that's all right. Is it sort of like, Conan? he said, well, it's it's like that, but it's it's more flowery, <laughs> you know. So I read those, and and I, then I knew that this is where I wanted my art career to go. And and again, there was no such thing as what you say fantasy art. It was in the very infant stages, 
every time, every once in a while, you see some of Jeff Jones' idol work in National Lampoon Magazine, Inc., work in the back, very beautiful work and fantasy. Uh, here and there, you see a few things. Then uh, when I got out of the Army, uh, I started getting books on Celts, Ordnung, and everything. I, I discovered the Celts when I was in college. I'd go to the library and look. I knew Vikings. Um, and uh, I want to know who else lived in Europe. And nothing would tell me, uh, you know, who, who lived in England. I mean, all my history through high school and even the college was like, they start with the Egyptians and talk about them and the Romans and or the Greeks and the Romans. And then they'd skip ahead about 700 years. <laughs> I said, somebody lived in Europe. Somebody lived up in this area. And um. I found Vikings. I read about Vikings, and that wasn't it. I kept going, and finally I found the Celts. And I, I, it was like I found home. And later on, I took, a, about two years ago, I took one of those ancestry tests. And I'm from, my bloodline is England, Eng English, Scotch-Irish, and um, uh, not up in the Denmark, what do you call that area there? The Viking area. Scandinavian blood. Scandinavian. And so that's mainly because it's weird when I found these, it's like I found home. And I just started drawing them, drawing them, drawing them. And so TSR hired me. And then one of my first assignments was draw a dragon or paint a dragon. I'm like, I've never painted a dragon. I haven't thought about those. <laughs> <laughs> so I went home and got, a, got my encyclopedias out, looked up reptiles and, and dinosaurs. I studied the anatomy of the bones of dinosaurs and I looked at reptiles and I went back the next day and started painting a dragon and they liked it and I ended up painting a lot of dragons <laughs> in my career. Yes. I painted a lot of dragons. Uh, I mean, I, I didn't dislike them, but I didn't have some kind of a fantastic love to do them. It was just another object in the painting, you know, but um, uh, but I tried to look at them very practical, and TSR had rules. They had, you know, uh, at that time, dragons, all dragons, you saw statues, anything, they had four legs, and then wings. Mm -hmm. And uh, only until the movies, they started doing movies of dragons, so they have the hands on the wings, so the front legs were the wings. Uh, I guess they tried to copy a bat. But dragons, all the old statues, all the old uh, tapestries, everything else, they were four-legged with wings. And I like them that way. They they function better. And and D and D they said, well they gotta have front legs, sort of like hands. They cast spells. And they read books. They turn pages. They you know they gotta have, you know, they use front legs almost like hands. So I kept that in mind all these years. So their front legs can always work correctly. You know. Um, so. Yeah, you're pretty renowned for your dragons and uh, <laughs> what I I tell I've. I've always said no one could do a dragon like Larry Elmore can, you know, and I, I think some of the other artists have done some fine jobs, you know, yeah. and, uh, but the ones that always struck me as being very different were, um, uh, the short lived, uh, Ramlar project because they yeah. were multicolored, you know? Um, yeah, it's like, uh, also, I, I don't think I've ever painted one of these, you know, you see a lot of new artists today, everything exaggerated to the hundredth degree, you know. The monsters are not just monsters. They are 25 stories tall monsters. Everything's big. <laughs> the 
dragons are huge sometimes. It's like, you know, you know my experience with D&D, I mean, when you go back to a lot of fantasy, a lot of it sprung from D&D, you know, mm-hmm. modern day fantasy. And, and, and fantasy artists, artists, is, artists sort of went that direction because, hey, there's an outlet, you know, we can freelance for them, for them you know. I can do fantasy art and get paid for it. My God, you know, it was a dream come true. And, um, and so um, most of the dragons back then were of a good size, maybe the size of a, of a dangerous, not one of those uh, dinosaurs that uh, ate leaves and had 25-story neck and everything. But most of your, your dinosaurs, about as big as an elephant or so, you know, a little bit bigger. And, uh, and so I looked at a dragon as something. If you had to slay a dragon... Uh, even if you had a magic sword, uh, she gonna kill this thing with it's like killing a raging elephant with a sword. That'd be a little hard to do. Now mm-hmm. you take a, an animal that's big as an elephant or a little bit bigger and can breathe fire and scratch you and everything else and bite you. It's like, yeah, you need a real magical sword to fight. Something. But they get now yeah. they're twenty five stories tall or something like you just run away. What else can you do? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, I still like to keep things as within reasonable kind of a realistic assumptions in a way. To me, it's always been the more realistic I can make my paintings, the more of a fantasy it, it's real. It's more real. One of and, the things I've always admired about your paintings, um, you know, is looking beyond the characters. You know, yeah, you've got Kitty R and her Dragon Sky, but what's beyond that? And so you see all the landscape and there's so much detail there i it's amazing that i know it's like before i went to work at tsr i was doing a few fancy pieces but i did the whole scene and uh i'd look at all these covers and i mean i love frazetta's work but there was so much figures and fog you have figures in the front and just a backdrop Nothing really behind there. It was just in a fantasy setting, sort of misty, airy, some kind of color, and maybe a snaggy tree or a rock, uh, but not not that much. And when I fantasized, it was real, okay? <laughs> I was in a real setting. I was in a real place. I didn't walk around in fogs. And, uh, you know. <laughs> and so about the time I went about three years before I got hired at TSR and I was 31 when they hired me and that was in 81. I think it was something like that. I was 30, 31, 32. Anyway, I'd gotten into the new Western art looking at it, not because I want to be a cowboy, but those Western painters, McCarthy and some of these, they were ex illustrators. They went West and started painting Western scenes and they painted beautiful landscapes. And then in the landscape, they have Indians and cowboys and buffaloes and a lot of adventure and exciting things, but it was cowboys. But the landscapes were beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I like landscapes. Uh, I really like painting the whole thing, you know, the whole scene. I want to be there in a real setting. And so I was painting complete scenes. And when Keith and Clyde were hired, they were mainly the paint the figure in a little bit of fog. That was a style, you might say. Really, fantasy was so new, there wasn't really a style, I don't guess. Right. But, um, and I hadn't, I'd played D&D once before I went to work for them. And uh, I liked it. I knew it was going to be a popular game. That's one of the reasons I agreed to go. 
because I had a good job. I mean, I had a job. We could have retired from there, and uh, I could freelance on the side, and we just bought a new house. And I put all that as a gamble. I went to TSR and scared at first. Everybody was like kids. I was only 31 or something. Most people was younger than me. And I'm like, <laughs> holy cow, what about that? I've jumped into something that sort of scared me a little bit. But I started, I was painting the full landscape. When Keith Parkson came aboard, and he was the only one that had played D&D a lot. He was a dungeon master. And he was only 21 years old when he came aboard. He's a kid. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, um, and color came naturally to Keith. He was a great colorist, and, and he got better at drawing. His drawing skills got better. But, but um, anyway, I told him, I said, he liked what I was doing. And he wanted to do, he wanted, he was, he was, what little paintings he was doing, he was trying to work in a whole landscape. And um, I said, yeah. I said, since we played D&D, &D, and then he started a game. We started playing a game at D&D, &D, and it went, went for about four years. We played every day at lunch. And he said, yeah. I said, I think the people, I was played once. I said, you're in a real fantasy setting. Everything's important. The, the terrain, the weather, the, where you at? I said, it's just like real life. You know, if you're going to go out on a big adventure, I don't want to go when it's pouring rain and mud up to your butt or snow and freezing death. But sometimes you're caught out there like that. I said, so the environment is important. And Keith agreed 100%. So Keith and I really pushed the fact that work the whole environment, you know, and um, uh, the whole landscape. And, uh, and we did. And, and the others got on board some, too. It took a little, I don't know what they'll say nowadays, but uh, I remember clear. I was, I was trying to push it. Keith and I both trying to push work the whole scene. Because for the players, that's important. Um, if you're just trying to do a pretty piece of art with a half-naked barbarian girl, you don't need a whole lot of background, you know. People <laughs> to focus on the girl. But when you're doing something for a game and all these characters, they're all important to the party. And uh, get them all in there and get the landscape, get as much as you can, you know, without making it too crowded. Still, still try to do a good piece of art, but it's important. And it worked. At least it worked for me. I'm still doing paintings like that. I don't do much figures and fog. I did the whole scene. That's great. And that's been like one of the troubles of, of me trying to buy your art is actually been trying to figure one, figure out ones I really – I like a huge range of your art. <laughs> that's that's the problem because <laughs> all of them have so much detail to it. And, and they're so interesting to look at, and you see new things all the time. Um, one of my favorite pieces was your return to Brookmere uh, yeah. from, the, from the Endless Quest, and that's the first yeah. time I actually seen the inside of like of a dungeon. And uh, no, I seen it in my mind, but this is the first time in a book, and seeing it and be like, "Holy cow!" There's a lot more than just some brick walls and some some torches. It's it's a beautiful piece. I know. Sometimes I I've wondered myself. I look back at some of the stuff I did back then. It's like, how do I know what that looked like? You know, it's like. Was my imagination that good? I know I had a big imagination and through grade school and stuff, um, I didn't want to study. I was too busy looking out. If there's a window, I'm staring out, looking at the sky, the trees. Uh, and, and that was a reported time my, my parents would come to school and talk to the teacher. They said, well, he, he just daydreams a lot. He's always looking out the window. Well, 
on one side of the school, if we had a class on that side of the school, they all had a big windows back then. Today, they didn't, it's like you're in a prison, but back then there was big windows. And this road track runs up to us, like up a little hill. And back then, when I was in, in up to sixth and seventh grade, there was still uh, third and fourth grade, there were still old steam engines coming in. You could hear them coming and up this hill, and they'd start chugging real hard, and the smokestacks were blowing out the smoke. It looked like a big monster coming up the tracks and uh, blowing out horn because he's coming into that town. And that would just kick me off daydreaming about something, you know? And so I was just visually attracted to everything. And uh, and I just painted a lot of it off the seat of my pants. What would it look like? Well, you use some common sense. And then I had a saying that I worked with this uh, dude at Fort Knox. This uh, older Hispanic guy. We got to be really good friends. Old. I was in my 20s and he was like 45. So he was old to me then. <laughs> and uh, one of his sayings, and I use it today, it stuck with me. Just do your best and guess the rest. And uh, I say that a lot. Almost every time I start a new painting or something, I'm getting, there's always problems. And like your old bank said, well, just do your best and guess the rest. I mean, when you start breaking down stuff, and I've looked at things on my life, landscapes, trees, rocks, dirt, fungus, bark, everything. And so you got all this in your visual memory. And so you got to fill in spaces. You go back to that visual memory and start putting what, what seems logical and, and build a scene up. And it works. At least it works for me. That's fantastic. So... Then you're at TSR at this point. And by the way, I, I forgot to mention earlier, thank you for your service. We really appreciate oh, well, that. It was a blast. Uh, I love working there. I did. I did. I did. It was yeah. the most fun job I ever had. Yeah. Well, I hadn't had too many jobs, but that one, I hit the gold mine <laughs> when I went to work there, you know. Um, so when you're at TSR, you know, you're, you're starting up. There's you. There's... Um, Keith Parkinson, and at what point did uh, Jeff Easley and Clyde Caldwell um, well, get in on things? I I didn't know that their whole other art department before me had quit. <laughs> all, oh, of the two, all of the two people. There was some kind of argument, and the artist put down an ultimatum. If you don't do this by this date, we're quitting. Well, they didn't do it, and so the artist quit. I think they had two there. I don't know if they were newly hired or been there about a year before I did. There was, uh, oh, God. My mind goes blank. But 73, you have these blank spots sometimes. Every once <laughs> uh, it'll come to me later. But um, uh, I knew Keith, uh, Jeff Easley. I'd met him about a year or so before I went to work at TSR. He's from Kentucky. That's where I'm from. He went to... Um, uh, I can't think of school right now. It's a university in Kentucky. It's west of me, western western part of Kentucky. He just got a degree in art, and he, we had a mutual friend that was an illustrator at Fort Knox, so they visit and they come over to our shop, and uh, we all talked and met. And I think we went to to a movie that 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 evening, and and uh, talked a lot. Met Jeff and. Uh, he just, he out of college, he was on his way to New York. He's going to try to freelance and make it there. And he got married and they had a little baby. 
within a year they'd had a baby and he was he couldn't get much work up there you know he's straight out of college he's working in a popcorn factory carrying these huge bags like 100 pound bags of popcorn he wasn't popping it he just moving stuff you know wearing him out all day long and uh they were getting by well and while that was going on tsi had called me they'd seen my work and they i'd seen them samples a friend of mine sent samples in for me i i didn't think they would hire me and uh and then they called me up wanted me to do a freelance piece for them i did a freelance piece and then they called me up wanted to hire me and that's a whole story itself getting hired but anyway i got hired and so they was needing more artists. And they said, do you know any good fantasy artists? I said, first one I thought it was Jeff Beasley. And I said, yeah. And so I give them Jeff's name and number. I'd, Jeff would call me and I'd got his number. And um, luckily I written it down. We didn't have phones in it, remembered it. We had to write everything. <laughs> and, uh, and so they called him and flew him down and looked at his portfolio and they hired him. And uh, so he was the second one to hire what you call the new crew. And, um, and then uh, some of the other older guys left. It was there. I think went to get better jobs or something. Uh, I know at least probably one of them wasn't really into fantasy art that much. It was just a job to do art. Pretty good art. But um, then, um, then uh, Clyde, uh, was looking at portfolios. I was with Jim. Jim Rosloff was the head of our department then. Great guy, great guy. And um, they needed more artists. And so we had me and Jeff. And then uh, he got in Clyde. And I'd, I'd seen his work. I'd seen it in heavy metal and a, other couple of places. And I, he was just about breaking in about like I was, getting published here and there. But he didn't sign his name Caldwell. He signed it with this, we call it the fish signature. It's like this weird thing. <laughs> so we said, we thought that was a fish. <laughs> and he said, that's a and, uh, <laughs> uh I've got a Southern accent, but Clyde was from North Carolina or South Carolina. And he talked a little bit more Southern, you know, just. Right. Out. And, um, and uh, so we gave him a hard way by the signature anyway. So he came on board and then we, uh, that was us, and then, then a little bit later on, they hired Keith, and uh, he was awful young, but it was about, he showed a lot of potential. And Jim said, so I think this guy is gonna be really good. He just needs to be around some working artists and learn. And uh, so we hired him. He was, like I said, 21 or 22. And he absorbed everything like a sponge, man. And in the end, Jeff, I mean, Keith, if he'd have lived, he'd been the best artist of all of us. He uh, had a natural ability for color. When we quit TSR and he and I shared a studio, uh, he would help me. I was weak on color. I, was, I realized I was weak on color, and I started trying to really learn see color more. Um, and he saw it naturally. He had his, like I said, his talent was color. My talent was drawing. And so we helped each other. I'd go there and draw on his painting a little bit, help him get an arm in right or help him with some perspective. He was rough on perspective and I would help him lay stuff out. And I'd be over there painting and I'd like, I've run out of colors in my little box of color. 
It's like I had a box of color. I used my red, my yellow, my blue. Now what I do? And I'd say, I've got some mid-tones. I don't know what color. It's not, there's no color works. And he would get over and he would mix up really god-awful looking color. It looks like, well, I nicknamed him Keith Parks and shit colors. <laughs> he took that as a compliment. It was. It was colors that had no name, no anything. But they worked. <laughs> they worked perfectly. And I asked him, how did you know to mix up that kind of a color? He said, he would start explaining. He said, well, it's a chroma and uh, the intensity. And he didn't know. It was, he could just do it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and like me about drawing, he said, well, how do you learn to draw? I said, I don't know. I look at things and I can draw it. You know, if I really study something and look at it, I can draw it. I can draw it in about any angle, rotate it in my mind and just draw it whatever angle. And, that's uh, amazing. And uh, that's, but see that, I always thought everybody was like that. <laughs> yeah, I did. And then when I found that Keith, he saw color like I saw drawing. I thought, no, everybody's not like that. You know, some of us got more exact talents than others. And, and that was, that was, that was a learning point for me too i mean something that you could see that you could almost touch and um it really soaked in and so it started back then when keith got hired and i started working his desk was close to mine and i'd always watch why i'd look at his palette and uh and one thing i learned we had tim hildebrand one time as a guest for a gen con back then it was early early gen cons not like the other day and um, we was talking to him. We sat around talking to him. We said, uh, what's your, one of your most important colors on your palette? And he thought of me, he said, purple. I'm like, purple? God, I'd never use purple unless I was going to paint a purple cape or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> and he said, purple. I'm like, God bless. Well, Keith, he absorbed that. And Keith started putting purple on his palette and use it more and more. And his color started getting better and better. I'm like, what the hell? What's it with this <laughs> crap, you know? So then I started uh, experimenting with it. And I realized one of the most important colors on my palette is purple. It's, it's weird. It can tone a color down just enough without muting, without gutting a color or without changing. Uh, it's hard to explain. It's, it's like, like distant trees as they fade back a little bit. You don't just make them light green <laughs> or they might've been a mixture of browns and umbers and everything else to get that color of the tree. Now you want to lighten them up. You don't just glaze over them. You can to some extent, but what you've got to do, you start adding a little bit more white and purples and little uh, umbers or, or ochre in the right proportions. And it just takes those that line of trees. It's like, 300 yards away and uh, it'll just push them back, but they look the same color. They're just farther back. And you, you know, right things like that. Right now I have um, my second monitor over here. I have up the image of the um, shadow run role-playing game cover. And, you know, looking behind the characters, you see what looks like some sort of concrete wall and everything. And I just realized there is a fair amount of purple in there. Yeah, there is. I was learning. <laughs> I, I've learned well, something. I, That's great. And, and skies. Skies. I started learning color in skies, too. 
um, the skies are hardly ever blue and blue sky with white clouds. Uh, hardly ever. Even on the prettiest day, the shadows of the clouds, everything, there's color in it all. And I remember started painting this before I went to TSR. I'd, I'd planned out a big painting, a 30 by 40. I'd spend weeks doing the drawing. I'd all drawn on a big canvas. And there's one little area about 10 inch square up top with sky. The rest of it was trees and stuff. Oh, I started painting the sky first. Do you paint forward? Well, I spent like four days on the sky. And when I, I just repaint it, repaint it. looked like crap. It's just a blue sky with some white clouds. It looked like crap. And I got mad and threw the whole painting away. The canvas, <laughs> everything, it stood away. Got my old 35 millimeter camera out there. I started photographing skies every day, just about. Every evening, storms, sunsets, you know, early, you know, different times of year, just photographing skies. And then when I'd try to paint, I'd use those sky pictures for evidence. And I realized at first I could not mix a color to get the color in the photograph because it wasn't what I thought it was. It was a lot more muted, a lot more subdued everything. I just had to just relearn the subtleties of things. And uh, and I was doing that when Keith got hired, but he was taking that on through everything. Because I look at his colors like, oh, man, your colors are spot arm. Your arm's crooked, but your, <laughs> you know, it, it needs to work on the anatomy here and there before <laughs> your colors are spot on, you know. And uh, so, like I said, when we got in the studio together, I helped him and he helped me and uh, we learned a lot from each other. And, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a learning. I'm still learning today. You don't just learn so much and you're a master. No, you never get, somebody say, well, do you think you ever paint your masterpiece? I said, nope. <laughs> because <laughs> you paint one good enough. You think it's a masterpiece and you learn something. So the next one you could paint, you paint could be better. You don't know. Uh, it's a learning process and you only stop learning till your brain can't function correctly anymore or you die. And that's it. That, that's but, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, one thing I've learned um, from my folks over the years, um, you know, my dad's passed now, but uh, for a while, him and my mom were doing woodcrafts yeah. and um, I realized part of what um uh, has provided them with a long life has just been keeping active and still yeah. learning about Lord, things. Learn, yes, exactly, exactly. That's amazing. Yeah. I, so, go ahead, Chuck. I was gonna say, I think most people would consider your masterpiece being the companions piece. I see that. <laughs> I see. I know, Tramp. You see that on, on social media all the time. Pop up the original photos of that. Yes. Companions of Lance. That's that's the one they're all sitting around. Now, which one is that? That's the one they're sitting around the fire. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yep, yeah, and then there, there's the photos that, that are even more famous in the painting, I think. Tracy calls it the family photo. Yeah. Those <laughs> artists, people, I just grabbed people. What happened? They told me how to do this painting. I thought, man, that's going to be great. I can't wait to paint that. And they said, yeah, we're going to have it like have 10 days to paint it. Are you kidding me? <laughs> this, uh, this, you got, you got it had, I think, nine people in it. And I said, I got 10 days to paint this whole painting. 
Well, I threw a fit, and that didn't do any good. I still had 10 days to paint the painting, so the more I fussed, the more time I was wasting, so like, I got to get on this now. So I just grabbed my old 35 millimeter, millimeter, and we had a room that was vacant. I, I told everybody that, some of them, I said, grab some folding chairs, two or three of them, we had two or three or four chairs, drug them over that little room, and I, I got, called my wife up, she worked down in pre-press, and um, um, no, she worked next door at the time, but anyway, she was a typesetter then, and uh, one of the girls, just grabbed people, that, and got, I think Clyde Caldwell to come over, maybe Clyde, yeah, and Jeff grabbed uh, Butler, and a um, bunch of people, and we just all went in the room, and I set them around, I moved them around a little bit, got back there and started taking pictures of them. I uh, got them where I wanted them to sit, roughly, because in my mind, I thought, they're sitting around a campfire. I mean, what else can you do with this many people? You can't line them all up or something, so they're sitting around a campfire. And, of course, Raceland separated because he was the butthole of a bunch at that time. <laughs> <laughs> He'd never cooperate. He'd always do his own thing. So, and uh, I think I had Butler to pose for Raceland and Carmen both. And that thing, and Butler was—he was our black and white guy, Jeff Butler. And uh, I think I—we had some old these old cheap spotlight things. It's just a little metal reflector with a light bulb stuck in them, with a cord to them. And I stuck a couple of them on the floor, trying to get a little, like the campfire, a little bit of light, and uh, just snapped the pictures. And that was my reference, and went back, started painting. And man, I met my deadline. I mean. Uh, they, they would set deadlines, but they had to have uh, they had to have the cover down so they could sell a product ahead of time. He's always doing that. And um, they just got worse and worse. It got down to where you had to do a painting in a day sometimes. And, oh, and uh, that's when we broke out of acrylic. We broke out the acrylics, you know, like, ah, get, move your oils, get your acrylics out, because they dry instantly almost. And so you start painting like a madman and trying to get a little painting done in, in, a, in a day. Jeff Beasley was good at that. Um, but I had to do I had to do a couple, and then the second or third one I did, I said, I don't want to sign my name to this. You know, I mean, I've done some good paintings here, and then, then I got a piece of crap like this, and I had to do it in an afternoon. And so I I made up a name. I've been playing with my kids, and I'd act I'd like to, I would act out this old character. He's like an old Southern country boy that barely couldn't talk and everything. And I'd tickle him and everything, play with the kids. He was little. And I called him Jack Fred. And so I thought, I'm going to sign this painting Jack Fred. This looks like something he would do. <laughs> <laughs> so I signed it Jack Fred. Well, the girls over in typesetting, when they had to type out who painted that, they didn't know who did it. And they said, we don't have a Jack Fred working here, do we? I said, no. So they, uh, one of them just done one that had Jeff Easley's name on it. They give him credit. So he said, well, just say Jeff did this one. So he gave Jeff Easley credit for the painting. Uh, this is a horrible painting. I'm sure I pissed Jeff off. Well, <laughs> then, then about a month or two later, Keith had to do a, a quick painting. It was an afternoon painting. He got his acrylics out. And he finished it. He said, what's that name you used? And I said, Jack Fred. So... He sounded Jack Fred. I think there's about three or four Jack Freds got out there published. And I've been at a convention and people say, well, who's the artist Jack Fred? <laughs> <laughs> he didn't work there very long. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Yeah, I think uh, Margaret had a story like that. She had to write something she wasn't too terribly proud of, so she used some other cent- some you know, name, pseudonym. Yeah. <laughs> they would they would put the print. Well, as TSR got, well, it was fighting over who owned the company. The company was getting in trouble. It wasn't right. done correctly. There was nobody at the reins really that's controlling or that knew what they were doing. I'll put it that way. And. Uh, <laughs> And we saw the writing on the wall, especially Keith and I did. And and I was getting so much freelance at home. Uh, you could, they would let you freelance at home as long as you wasn't competing against TSR on a product. Well, at first that was wide open. Then it got down to where there wasn't hardly anything you could do because they got their finger in everything. And uh, and so then it's like you know, I, so I started doing model car box covers. He-Man coloring books, uh, Princess oh, really? of Power, fun books. I've done those big four-wheel drive trucks that crush cars, model car box, model car, uh, model box cover for a T-55 Russian tank or T-62, I can't remember which, and a BMP, they're the person. But, but I knew about those from Orton Fort Knox. I'd drawn a lot of those. And uh, so I'd, I was doing covers for toys, games, coloring books. Uh, then to- uh, toys, uh, the Willow toys that you see that come out back in the movie. I did the packaging for that. Um, I did all kinds of crap during that time, so I was busy. And because I didn't know when one of these days they're going to say TSR is over with, it's sold out, moving someplace. And so Keith and I knew the writing was on the wall. We, and I, when I left, I thought they'd last about another three years, but they lasted five years. Um, but it was just, it was sad to see all that crumble away, not from the creative people, but from the fighting above and it filtered down and, and everything. And then, then you had non-creative people coming up with ideas for games. You had you had uh, the suits coming up for uh, ideas for games. We can do this. Making the game is easy. No, it's not. It's hard. <laughs> and uh and they thought, well, anybody can do it. And they, they'd come up with some stupidest games you ever heard of. Uh, some All My Children board game. Uh, <laughs> they did. And that was all done in Chicago by, they hired it all done, covers and everything. And it was like secret games they was doing. And then we'd see them, we'd get wind of it. And like, oh my God, nobody's going to buy this. And they didn't. I think I remember one time we had spies over the place. We had people in shipping that we, our department knew everything going on in the company. And, uh, <laughs> and um, our, our guy in shipping, he come, he said, he'd tell us, he could tell us how much product was sold every month or every quarter. And that all my children game come out and stuff like that. And he said, well, we sold one worldwide this last quarter or the last month or whatever. I said, well, that's what we said. It would not sell, and it didn't. And the money that was put into that, it was just like pouring money in a down a well, you know, down a hole. It was wasted money. And um, they did a lot of stuff like that at that during that period. And that's why I was I was taking a lot of freelance, and uh, I knew I was going to have to quit. I hated it, but it wasn't the same company anymore. It was it yeah. And um, what? Now I had heard a story around that. It might have lasted five years after I left. I'm not for sure. Now, um, I had heard a story around that time that TSR had put some money into raising a ship from the bottom of Lake yeah. Geneva. Yeah. 
Yep, they did that. Another waste of money. Oh, when I did the covers for all three of them, three or four of them, were English Quest books for girls. And at that time, there wasn't a single girl that played any kind of a role-playing game. There might have been three or four in Chicago, a couple in Milwaukee, but that's it. You know, the, right. and the world was about like that. I mean, and I, I told them, I said, you know, you're not going to sell any games to girls. At this time, girls are not looking to be going on an adventure. They're looking to be a cheerleader or a this or a that or a movie star, that, that age group. They're not, you might have 3% of the girls out there actually playing D&D. All the rest were boys, young boys. I said, who, you tell me the girl's going to buy this book. Oh, our, our marketing. Well, I knew they hired some new marketing people that didn't know anything. I think that one of the head of marketing was, they paid him a bunch of money. He, he, I asked him what he marketed in the past out of Chicago. I think it's refrigerators or something. I'm like, oh, and so you're qualified to to read the market on uh, role playing games? Yeah, it's easy. Well, <laughs> he lost us a fortune too, you know. And uh, so I was paying those endless quest book covers, and I told Brian Bloom uh, or the main Bloom at that time. Uh, oh, he's bringing a marketing guy around, you know, and 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 I. I told Marky, I said, you know, he's not going to sell. You know, I think they will. I told a lot of them, they're not going to sell. The girls are not into it yet. Give them another five or ten years, girls will be in it, but they're not into D&D and this kind of stuff yet. This is male, young male oriented. And we put those out, and I think we sold about 25 books worldwide. <laughs> Something like that. It's a beautiful <laughs> amount. <laughs> Lost a bunch of money on that. And and they would not they would not they got to where they wouldn't listen to the we all played the games we were involved in what was going on. we knew we knew the market we were the market and we were paying to people just like us that knew what was wanted the people as it got farther away from Gary of course Gary was had his problems down he was fighting for his life with the the, the fighting infighting on who owns the company and crap and. Uh, People were getting fired. Some people leaving, and and, and it's like, God, you know, it's getting bad. But they, they, at that time, he's getting farther and farther away from the base market. You know, fantasy, fantasy games. That's it, and it's mainly male oriented at that time. Uh, and I, I was glad to see girls start playing. You know, I, I love girls. <laughs> so, so, but uh, I mean, you go to a convention, there was boys dominated, and they had a little girlfriend. And I'm saying, ah, I don't like the game. It just uh, he wastes all his time playing that game. He doesn't take me out, you know. And um, but uh, later on, the girls got involved in it. But but at that time, and they was pouring money away. Oh, it's just awful. And so that's why I, I got I quit first. Found this Keith and I studio in Lake Geneva. Moved into it, then Keith quit later, about three months later, and he joined me. And so we worked for about two years in Lake Geneva painting. And, and TSR kept sending us work, you know. Uh, they wouldn't, they, they said, you can't work for any other role playing company for a year. And so we agreed to that because I had, I was backed up with everything to paint ever, across the board, you know. <laughs> 